Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Tensions between Russia and Western countries and international organizations such as the European Union over the war in Ukraine will certainly affect other issues on which there was up to now common ground between the parties. A case in point is the nuclear deal being essentially renegotiated in Vienna between Iran and the parties to the 2015 agreement. If Russia is now in a hostile stance towards the United States and its allies, it may tilt towards Iran regardless of the Islamic Republic's steady accumulation of enriched fissile material and ballistic missile arsenal. What is the outline of these emerging trends and is Iran therefore a more dangerous threat than it was a month ago? To analyze this, we're joined from Washington, D.C. by retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, who is a former Assistant Secretary of State for Political and Military Affairs. Thank you for joining us, General. Also joining us from New York City is Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency and a Distinguished Fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you. Also with us in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, TV7 Powers and Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Thank you for joining us, Amir. I'd like to start with uh, asking you for a broader understanding on this specific topic, but also in particular with regard to Iran's nuclear and ballistic missile advancements. To what degree is this truly a challenge, uh, considering that there is a diplomatic track being taking place, there is an ongoing diplomatic track taking also place behind the scenes, and right now we're seeing more and more uh, involvement, even though the concerns remain with regard to uh, Iran's true, genuine nature uh, with regard to its capacity to really uh, adhere to to various restrictions at a time that its aspirations are clear with regard to its nuclear program and also quite open with regard to its ballistic program. So the Biden administration has been in office for 13 months now, and it seemed as if uh, they had all the time in the world to get uh, down to uh, specifics. However, the negotiations in Vienna uh, with Iran went on and on, and even though uh, the um, American uh, side uh, already declared that time is running short and it can't go on forever, they they didn't seem to be in uh, a great hurry. Uh, And all of a sudden, just when it looked as if they are tying the uh, very last loose ends in Vienna, Vladimir Putin invaded the Ukraine and everything is now out of joint. We don't know whether Russia will change its position in Vienna and whether it will help or hurt Iran, um, whether the Iranians want to have uh, an agreement and if so, how they are trying to uh, improve their position uh, and so on and so forth. And while um, we are looking at the nuclear file, the conventional arsenal, which the Iranians uh, have been uh, building, is um, getting uh, bigger and bigger. They have um, almost 3,000 missiles of various sorts, ballistic uh, crews and others, which means 
that even had Israel or another country tried to take out the uh, Iranian uh, arsenal um, in a surprise attack, it is almost impossible to do it if you have so many missiles, so many launchers, hidden, fortified. And that means that they have a sort of deterrent and perhaps they can really uh, hurt or harm whoever they are going to um, launch the missiles into. You, of course, you have to add to that their drones, their maritime activities, Yemen, Iraq, and so on. So yes, Iran is a very dangerous threat right now. Indeed, but before we dive into the capacity, let's uh, discuss uh, technicalities. Dr. Heinonen, if I may refer the next question to you. Uh, observing the, the uh, nuclear negotiations in Vienna uh, has been a fluctuation from the start. It seems like the Iranians are still quite obstinate on, on their demands uh, with regard to non-nuclear related activities, but they're also very keen on having the International Atomic Energy Agency relinquish or, or any outstanding issues that were uh, being investigated. To what degree, from your perspective, do you see the current situation progressing or are we at a stage where uh, the, the last few uh, miles before crossing the finish line, uh, the Iranians may alter and, and uh, change their position altogether. The political situation is currently very complicated because of this turmoil in Ukraine. In my view, the negotiator should perhaps take a pause and not to rush any quick solu temporary solution in accomplishing the last miles of the negotiation. Take a pause, let the dust settle down for a week or two and perhaps more. There is no fundamental change in Iran's nuclear program in those two, three weeks, which would block such an act activity, and it might be beneficial for the whole process. Indeed. Uh, General Kimmet, I'd like to hear from your perspective. Uh, you've covered the, the Middle East for many years. You have uh, quite uh, the CV when it comes also to the challenges posed to U.S. partners and allies in the region. To what degree do you see the, the Iranian arsenal and its uh, um, seeming or apparent uh, aspiration of developing a nuclear threshold capacity, at least, uh, as a challenge uh, for the United States and, again, for its uh, allies and partners in the region? Well, what I'm most concerned about is, as there is an impression throughout the region that the Americans are leaving the region, uh, I'm a little bit concerned that our allies may have been a little bit more concerned than they have been in the past about whether the U.S., uh, will uphold any uh, agreements that we have made regarding their defense and regarding uh, our ability to provide a deterrence force there. Uh, so I think we've got to continue to focus on and make very clear the triad, for lack of a better term, of Iranian interference in the region, not only their nuclear program, their ballistic missile program, but also their proxy operations that they're running throughout the region. So yes, the, the allies in the region continue to be concerned. Uh, they are concerned equally by Americans' uh, less interest, 
and withdrawal from the region, regardless of the amount of forces that we will leave behind. And it causes me to be concerned about whether they will negotiate a separate peace individually uh, with Iran, which is exactly what Iran would like. Indeed. If I may reinforce uh, General Kimmich's point, uh, it's a sort of a deja vu all over again. If one goes back to the late 1960s, early 1970s, the United States was preoccupied with the Far East. At that time, it was involved in Vietnam. And President Nixon came up with Vietnamization or the so-called Guam Doctrine. We will help them uh, to fight. We will not uh, fight ourselves. And in the Middle East, the British were living. And there was a vacuum until the United States, which was reluctant to fill in for the British, until the United States had no other choice and came in in force. The uh, value at that time was that there was a United States to back up Britain. Now there is no other United States to back up the Americans as they are living. So it's a very dangerous uh, period. And the uh, Russians right now are much more proactive than they were at that time. Indeed, Dr. Uh, Heinonen, uh, when we're looking at the Russian dynamic within those negotiations on the nuclear dimension of Iran, uh, Obviously, right now, under a stringent sanctions regime from the United States, Europe, Japan, and, and other countries around the world, uh, it bears to question to what degree would it they actually comply to uh, those same countries who are imposing sanctions against them uh, with regard to sanctions imposed against Iran. Is there here any leverage left when we're talking about the nuclear negotiations that at this stage and also bringing into uh, the picture the the vast arsenal the Iranians have in their possession of ballistic missiles and other sophisticated weaponry? Well, these questions need to be answered. There is no way out. The IAEA reports are delayed, as we see, and one of the reasons is, again, that the I Iran is very reluctant to answer the questions raised by the IAEA. But as a matter of fact, those files cannot be closed before the IAEA gets proper answers, since the question is about possible undeclared nuclear material and activities in Iran. So therefore, it's essential that the Iran answers to those questions, and I'm sure the IAEA will not close the file, even though there might be some political pressures, and Iran sees now perhaps an opportunity with this turmoil which is uh, taking place in Ukraine, that they can take a political advance and try to close the file. But it will not succeed. Those need to be answered. This is the question of the credibility of the verification scheme. Indeed, uh, General Kimmel, I'd like also to ask you on, on the same element. To what degree is the, uh, not necessarily Biden administration, but uh, the defense establishment in the United States concerned with regard to uh, this current dimension with uh, the rules-based order being brought into question with uh, various actors trying to uh, challenge uh, the American capacity to withstand uh, the, the variables on the ground in the Middle East in particular uh, within the context, of course, of strategic competition. Well, I think we're seeing right now with the situation in Ukraine that the United States has got their hands full. Uh, whether it's 
the Ukraine situation with NATO, whether it's the pivot to China or whether it's the continuing challenges in the Middle East, uh, it's clear this administration uh, better be able to juggle with more than one hand. Uh, the one thing that I think the defense establishment is more concerned about as we watch whatever will be agreed upon uh, is the program for verification and enforcement for any deal that is made. Uh, while it's nice to have uh, words on paper, if there's no way to either verify compliance uh, or compel through uh, actions should verification be violated, I think that's what the, the defense establishment is most concerned about, uh, because uh, that will probably lead to more challenges to this, uh, whatever agreement will come about, uh, than anything else. Mr. Olin? Well, the, uh, the argument um, has been made, and um, I want to refer this uh, issue to General Kimmett, that uh, Ukraine um, made a fatal error in 1994, when it gave up its uh, nuclear uh, arsenal, whatever uh, remained from the uh, Soviet Union. Um, at the same time, of course, Belarus and Kazakhstan also had um, many uh, nuclear warheads or missiles and another um, and other facilities. Uh, to my mind, it's uh, a false parallel because it was controlled um, from Moscow by by uh, Russian generals, um, it wasn't really usable by the Ukrainians. And uh, uh, so a uh, few years after Chernobyl, it didn't make sense for them. It, they couldn't um, control or maintain or use uh, uh, this uh, nuclear arsenal, which fell into their hands. Uh, and uh, the uh, Clinton-Yeltsin uh, relationship and the non-Luger legislation um, made uh, sure that all of these nuclear and also biological and chemical um, remains from the Soviet Union uh, be taken care of. But I'm interested uh, in hearing your view, General, on whether Iran can use it as a pretext, uh, saying, uh, well, we saw the Ukrainian example, we are not going to give up uh, what we have uh, done up to now. General Kimmel? Well, uh, I think the Russians will certainly try to make that argument, uh, whether there has uh, any basis of logic or basis in truth in that argument. Uh, but it is true that it is uh, much more difficult to deal with a country that does have a nuclear capability uh, than one that doesn't. I think all we've got to do is look at our struggle relationship with North Korea and realize that if it wasn't for those nuclear weapons, that uh, North Korea would be an insignificant challenge to either uh, the continent, uh, peninsula, or the region. So uh, the Russians can make whatever argument they want. The Iranians can make whatever argument they want. But the fact remains is I don't think that argument is going to change one bit uh, the posture that Iran has in these negotiations. Dr. Heinonen, your take on this? When Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, I was actually involved in this first uh, attempts to help Ukraine in meeting its safeguards obligations and look what to do with the nuclear materials which were in Ukraine. Certainly the arsenal of Ukraine was very large 
and very difficult to maintain and they probably didn't have every expertise what was needed but they had a lot of manufacturing capabilities particularly in the industrial establishments in the eastern Ukraine they could have now looking in hindsight perhaps maintained a small nuclear arsenal using the talents and capabilities which they had in the country, but certainly not with hundreds or thousands of nuclear warheads. So to that sense, the decision was right. Current threat by the Russia of possible use of nuclear weapons in the case of conflict is alarming. This is unacceptable in my view from a permanent five who should be the guardians of nuclear non-proliferation. Certainly this will put other countries like Iran or North Korea to consider their own nuclear capabilities at which possible level they want to maintain it. And I think that as a result of that it will be very very difficult to get Iran to cease uranium enrichment activities with the longer term. They want to keep their capability. Indeed. Mr. Olgan, I'd like also to hear uh, your take on this specifically. But uh, beyond uh, this issue, if the Iranians demand for guarantees from the United States in particular, uh, which holds all the cards when we're talking about international sanctions actually biting at uh, the Iranian econ- uh, economy from a global perspective, uh, this is not something the Americans are able to grant the Iranians since within uh, from a constitution perspective, but also from a, a perspective of uh, the, the Congress demanding oversight. There are many contrasting aspects in this issue. Yes, of course, it's just like... Um as if the uh, Americans uh, have asked the Iranians uh, for uh, assurances in 1978, and lo and behold, a few months later, the Shah is out and Khomeini is in, and it, he changes the uh, the uh, policy. So yes, it's, uh, it's impractical. Um, what Prime Minister Bennett said uh, a couple of weeks ago was that because of that, the Iranians might uh, demand that the uh, new JCPOA uh, only um, go to 2025, that is until a new president is in the White House and decides whether to continue um, the agreement. Now, other Israeli officials who have been getting briefings uh, from Vienna are adamantly saying that this is not true, or at least this is not up to date, that if there is an agreement, it will go on to 2030 or so. But uh, one of the questions is, what is the strategic array of forces going to be? Uh, What sort of a new alignment uh, are we going to see following the Russia-Ukraine war? Uh, Is the uh, uh, new Russia, the uh, new aggressive Russia, going to ally itself with Turkey or against Turkey? With Iran? Against whom? Uh, How is China? going to fit in. And uh, it is, uh, of course, uh, uh, too early to tell because uh, there is still gunfire in the Ukraine. Indeed. General Kemet, I'd like to hear from your perspective, to what degree do you see uh, the American involvement in the region actually diminish? Uh, You spoke earlier about the fact that uh, uh, the picture of the United States leaving the region is just untrue. Uh, Do you see uh, an 
increase of, of involvement uh, in light of latest developments? Well, I think we've got to understand the difference between perception and reality. The fact remains is the U.S. will maintain a significant capability within the region, where uh, land, air, and sea. And it's also certainly the case that the United States can bring forces in and does bring forces in and sends them home as the situation dictates. Uh, but that is not the perception. The perception has uh, taken hold in the region that America is serious about the pivot to China, and so the attention will be pushed over in that direction. And now with the situation in Ukraine, I think you're going to see a lot of people believe that the second most important focus should be Europe-NATO. So while I think the United States can juggle uh, with both hands and handle all these crises simultaneously, uh, there will be a belief in the region that the United States will probably see the Middle East as part, as the third priority and not the first priority as it has been for so many years. Listen, I would like to add one other point on the length of the JCPOA. Uh, it's been very clear that the Iranians don't want to get tripped up uh, as they were with President Trump. They want to see something more long-lasting than the period of one president, particularly if that next president could be President Trump again. So they will push for a treaty obligation on the part of the United States for adherence to the JCPOA. And I think uh, it is problematic at this point if a treaty could get the required votes inside of the United States Congress in order to be able to have an agreement go beyond the tenure of any president. What is the viability uh, in, in your understanding of the current situation in Congress and in the Senate for that matter uh, with regard to support of such a treaty? Uh, treaties are often very, very difficult, usually very difficult. Again, I don't think with the bipartisan relationships inside the Congress right now uh, that they can pass a budget, much less uh, pass an issue of significant national security. Uh, there will be people that look to the uh, agreement as it stands and as it's written on paper and say that the Biden administration did not negotiate the best deal possible. Others will say any deal is better than no deal, but I think it comes down to counting the votes on your fingers, and I just don't think at this point that the United States Congress will provide sufficient votes for this thing to become an official treaty obligation. The House doesn't uh, count in, in ratification. It's mm -hmm. only, only the Senate, uh, constitutionally. Correct. However, uh, because of the 50-50 situation in the Senate with two uh, moderate or conservative uh, Democrats, uh, Manchin and Cinema, uh, voting uh, with the Republicans uh, at times, uh, President Biden doesn't even have an assured majority. And even if he does push it through with uh, Vice President Harris casting um, the crucial uh, tie-breaking vote, the Republicans can torpedo it through various appropriations measures, because the Iranians uh, will want to have not only sanctions relief, but also uh, various funds transferred. So um, it's very, very fragile the way it stands now. Indeed. Dr. Heinon, I'd like to hear also from uh, your perspective. We don't have very much time left for today's program. But nonetheless, if you may uh, provide us somewhat of an understanding from the International Atomic Energy Agency's perspective, 
to what degree is it able to guarantee with uh, the current agreement at play being deliberated in Vienna uh, that Iran does not indeed pursue uh, weapon dimensions to its nuclear program? When we look in combination the Comprehensive Safeguards Agreement and the JCPOA, the IAEA has a quite a variety of tools to fulfill that task and to make sure that nuclear program of Iran is and remains peaceful. However, we have this history. Nuclear weapons development until 2003, we don't know what has continued since then. Enlistment program is much more advanced compared to what it was a couple of years ago. So I think that with current provisions of the NP, JCPOA, this is not quite possible to provide high, high assurances on the absence of undeclared nuclear material and activities in Iran. The agreement needs to be fixed to meet that goal. Indeed. General Kimmett, uh, roughly one minute and 20 seconds. Uh, to what degree do you see the, the current state of play uh, developing in the right direction, uh, whatever that may mean? Uh, do you think that an agreement is feasible at this stage? Uh, I do not think an agreement is feasible unless there's stronger verification and compliance uh, measures put in. And second, uh, I would note that to approve a treaty, it takes a two-thirds vote in the United States Senate. It's not one of simple uh, majority. So if the Iranians insist on a treaty, to indemnify themselves between administrations, I don't think that that's going to come across, uh, even if there is, even if there are strong verification and compliance measures, which I think we all know there will not be. Indeed, uh, two thirds, sixty-seven seats, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Mr. Owen. Yes, I mean, there's no chance, uh, as General Kimmett uh, points out, no chance even under other circumstances. Which is why President Obama didn't make uh, the JCPOA deal an agreement, let alone uh, a treaty. The question, as we are speaking now, is: Has Kiev killed Vienna, or has it pushed it into a coma? And um, perhaps. Come uh, April, we will know the answer for that. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank Dr. Heinonen, General Kimmet, as well as Mr. Oren. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.